A week before last, we passed out uh, copies. I guess it was last week. I don't know if we have any more copies. Uh, where's Sister Carolyn Thorpe? All right. Uh, she made the copies. Do we have any more copies? All right, let me just ask, how many of you would like to have a copy? Raise your hand, okay? All right, why don't you make about 25 of them? And when she gets back with those, <clears throat> we'll give you the opportunity to raise your hand again. Of course, we are talking about the oneness of God. We're using this as our study guide down in the lower left-hand corner. We're going to be talking about this tonight. Jesus is God. I prefer to ask the question, who was or who is Jesus Christ? Now that's very, very small, and most of you cannot see this. That this is the reason why that we give you the study guide. We appreciate the wonderful truth that God has revealed to us, and that has to do with His deity. The Bible speaks of the mighty God in Christ, and I'm going to give Sister Debbie this transparency, if she would, and we're going to show this one. Uh, this is a repeat from last week. We will be doing this. Excuse me, let me get my yardstick. When you see me bring this in, in service, it doesn't mean I'm after somebody. <clears throat> the Godhead, the oneness. Basically, the Godhead is explained by in the religious circles in two different ways, and that is that God is one consisting of spirit and body. This is the doctrine of the oneness. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that God is one consisting of three separate, divine, distinct individuals, each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Our church upholds the doctrine of the oneness. We teach, and the Bible proclaims, that God is a spirit, and the spirit is invisible. No man has seen God at any time. Now, please understand when we make statements like that, even though we are quoting Scripture, that those statements are absolute and they are correct. However, they all must be interpreted in the light of all other Scriptures relative to this subject. Okay? So, when we say that no man has seen God at any time, we are taking that you cannot see a spirit because a spirit hath not flesh and bones. All right? Now, this is the third week that we've been studying this. Now, next week we will not be studying. Uh, there will be a ministerial development class. And then the following week we have our district conference and we'll not be uh, uh, studying it then. So we'll be off of it a couple of weeks before we come back to it. Now, the invisible spirit is called God. Then... Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh. The flesh is called the Son of God. Now, last week we studied 
concerning one God, and that is that the one spirit and one flesh, uh, that God consisted, rather, of one spirit and one flesh, Ephesians 4, 4. The spirit and flesh became one, John 10, 30. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus, according to John 14, 10. Now, here is the transparency that we used last week to explain this. I think that you will understand this as we begin to look at this. Of course, everything concerning God is revelatory. A man cannot even know that he needs to be saved unless God reveals that to him. For no man can cometh to the Father except the Spirit draweth him. Now, Colossians 2, verse 9, the Bible speaks of all the fullness of the Godhead uh, body that dwells in Jesus Christ. Now, in John 10, Jesus said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, that simply means that, that the Spirit is omnipresent everywhere, but Jesus Christ is not omnipresent as far as sonship is concerned. So, inside of Jesus Christ was resonant the Spirit and power of Almighty God, but yet Jesus Christ was also enveloped by the omnipresence of God. So, we compare this to ice that's in the ocean, and yet the ocean is in the ice. Ice consists of two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, just like water does. And so the ice is in the ocean, the ocean is in the ice. That simply means then that the ice is a different form than the ocean. This is the reason why that you recognize it as it is. So the ice is in the ocean, yet the ocean is in the ice. The invisible God becomes visible. All right? Not all of God was in Christ. The Bible speaks of the fullness of God was in Christ, but not all of God was in Christ. The fullness of God was in Christ. That simply means the quality of God, not the quantity of God, was in Jesus Christ. Naturally, God being everywhere, uh, encompassing the whole universe, not all of that could be inside of Jesus Christ. Now, I know I've heard people, uh, I have had people to ask me questions like this. They said, well, if, if Jesus Christ was God with us, how in the world could God rule the world through the eyes of a little tiny baby? Well, what they're doing, they're making all of God in Christ. All, uh, talking about quantity. First place, God could no more rule the world through a little tiny baby than He could through a man. So He did not have to rule the world through a man. Now, the Trinitarian doctrine, now this is laid out in accordance to what you would find in any textbook, religious textbook that deals with the Trinitarian doctrine. The ancient creeds uh, talk about one God, and please understand that Trinitarians, for the most part, claim they believe in one God. All right? And if you ask the average Trinitarian if he believes in one God, well, naturally he would tell you that he will, he does. If you read the book of Isaiah, you, you have to believe that. Because repeatedly, it is mentioned over and over and over and over. There is but one God, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9, Mark 12, 28 through 34, Malachi 2, 10, Isaiah 44, 6 through 8, 
Isaiah 45, 2, Isaiah 45, 6, Isaiah 45, 23, Isaiah 46, 8, and 9, 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6, Ephesians 4, verse 5 and 6, 1 Timothy 2, 5, James 2, 19, Revelation 4, 2, and 3, all state that there is one God and only one God. Now, Sister Thorpe will have your study guides out for you in just a minute. You who do not have those, okay, Brother Knopp has those, so raise your hand if you do not have one of these, and we'll be glad to give you one. Now, what we would like for you to do, though, is bring it back with you the next time we study this. It will be the second week of April, or the first week of April, pardon me, we'll be studying this. Now, let me go on into the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is explained like this, that God is one consisting of three divine, distinct, individual persons, each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Now, that simply means that, that the Godhead, according to the Trinity, consists of three persons. Now, I've drawn flesh, flesh, and flesh, spirit, spirit, and spirit. The reason why that I've done this, because the doctrine of the Trinity states, each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. In other words, what one has, the other has, they are co-equal. Co-existent, that simply means that one was not before the other, that they always have been, all of them, always has been, and then co-eternal, they always will be. And, of course, <clears throat> it is explained like this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, if you study the Scripture carefully, you will find here is a phrase that's not found in the Bible at all, and that is God the Son. That is not found in the Bible. The Bible does mention the Son of God, but not God the Son. Now, we will be studying about Jesus Christ. Who was Jesus Christ? And we're saying that Jesus Christ was God with us. And when we say that, please understand, though, that we're not saying that Jesus Christ as a man was God. You see, when you study the Godhead, you will find that many scriptures that talk about Jesus Christ, those scriptures talk about Him as a man. Many other scriptures talk about Him being more than just a man. And the fallacy that a lot of people fall into when they study about Jesus Christ is this, that they see only one side of Jesus Christ. They either see Him as a man or they either see Him as God. And it might surprise you, but yet I feel that uh, uh, you should hear this statement from me. Some oneness people that I have personally talked about, I say talked about, that I personally talked to, have talked about Jesus Christ as being only God. And that's all that they will say about Him. But we know that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God, and yet He was God with us. Now, this, this term, God the Son, is not found in the Bible. Now, the reason why that I want to stress this is because when you use the term God the Son, you are saying that that the Son was God. That is, that, that the flesh was God. And, of course, we know that the flesh died upon Calvary. It was the Son of God that died upon Calvary. If 
there were such as God the Son, then God died. But He did not die. He did not die at all. Now, all of these three equal the Trinity. Now, this doctrine was adopted by the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. and, of course, has been endorsed by many ancient creeds down through the years, and we will be getting into that uh, within a matter of weeks. Now, what I'd like to do then, if you'll take the, the uh, and put the, the, the main study guide back up, we'll get into our lesson for today. Now, you have your study guide, and I will be asking you to read scriptures. We're going to talk about who was Jesus Christ, and as we go through this, I trust and pray that your understanding will indeed be enlightened, and that somehow this great revelation of who Jesus Christ is will come to you. Isaiah, the 6th chapter, pardon me, the 7th chapter, verse 14. I would like for somebody to take and read this for me if they would. Isaiah seven fourteen, All right. Isaiah seven fourteen. Who has this? And if you have it, would you stand and read it? Read it loudly, clearly. Okay, Brother Dan Capaccio. All right, a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, uh, put the other one back up, if you would, Sister Debbie. Let me just point out something uh, that I feel that's necessary about the Trinity. Now, the Bible says a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son. We're talking about... uh, as far as the Trinitarians are concerned, the second person of the divine Trinity. Now, she shall conceive and bear a son. Now, this son was to be the son of which one of these? Uh, We normally attribute Jesus Christ as being the son of the Father, and that's the reason why he's called the Father. But the Bible does say that it was the Holy Ghost that overshadowed Mary, and she conceived. And brought forth the Son. Now, let me just explain something that I feel that's very, very important for you to understand. There is a reason why that Jesus Christ was rejected when He came upon the scene. The Jewish people fully understood that the Messiah was to come. The Christ, the Anointed One. They took Old Testament prophecy and studied it in depth. You remember when Jesus Christ was born... And the Bible tells us that the wise men, the magi, they saw the star in the east. And the Bible says that they came uh, from the east, rather, and they came to worship him. Well, when they got to to, uh, Herod's palace, they inquired, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, and we have come to worship him. It did not take the scribes long to determine where Jesus Christ was to be born. Uh, They said, uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written. Now, we'll be studying that tonight, Micah 5, verse 2. But uh, they knew that that, uh, the Messiah was to be born. The problem was that when they looked at Jesus Christ, because he was just a carpenter's son, because that he had a a normal birth like uh, every other child, because he lived in typical surroundings of, of, of the average person, Yet, doing the work of God, upon several occasions, 
people picked up stones and sought to kill him. Why? He being a man maketh himself God. In other words, they looked at him and they said, Can it be possible that he being a man can make himself God? Of course, we know that uh, that is impossible. It was not that way at all. It was he being God made himself in the form of a man. Man does not have the ability to become God, but God has the ability to robe himself or house himself in human flesh. And the Scripture tells us his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, in the study of Old Testament Scripture, they should have known that it would be a virgin that was to conceive, that he would have a, he would have a normal birth like everyone else, except that uh, uh, he would not be conceived by uh, two human beings, that, it w- that a virgin, someone that had never known a man, was to conceive, that she was to become pregnant, and she was to bring forth uh, the Messiah. And the Messiah was to be Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This is the reason why in the first chapter of the book of Matthew, and we've read this already, and I'd like to repeat a lot of these scriptures, but time would not allow us to just keep going back and forth, back and forth. But uh, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the word Jesus actually is making reference to the God of the Old Testament or Jehovah of the Old Testament. The word Jesus, the name Jesus, actually means Jehovah has become our salvation. And so this here became this. Now, this is the way the Trinity is, you know, explains this. However, if you'll look carefully at the oneness, and put this back up if you would, Sister Debbie, the other one. The Bible plainly teaches that there is only one spirit and there is only one flesh. That this invisible spirit encased itself or housed itself in human flesh and came among us and his name was called Jehovah Savior or Jesus Emmanuel or God with us. Now this is so important for you to understand. Now basically... Uh, people who get confused about the Godhead, if you will just look at it like this, that, that, the, that when, it, when it boils down to it, uh, it, it's really a matter of language with a lot of people. Not too many people believe the doctrine of the Trinity as I'm explaining it. And the reason why is because it is only taught in seminaries like that. Most of the ministers consider it to be such a dark, deep, mysterious doctrine that uh, it is inexplainable, and so they don't get involved in it. As a result, then, people hear little about it, maybe in some songs, the doxology and such, it's mentioned. But on the other hand, most of the common believers of congregations do not believe the doctrine of the Trinity the way I'm explaining it. And, of course, the reason why they don't is because that uh, they have not been to a seminary in which it's been explained that way. But if you will look into the doctrines relative to the Trinity, you will find that I am fairly accurate in, in my definition. Now, we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as much as anyone. 
I've had uh, Trinitarians to tell me, well, you believe in Jesus only. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. I believe in Jesus, but I believe in the Father, and I believe in the Holy Ghost. Now, I do not believe in, in, in God the Son. I believe in the Son of God. I think there is a vast difference, and I think as we go through that you will, ex- you will understand. But basically, we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The Trinitarians believe in Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The difference is this, that we do not believe that the Father had flesh and blood and bones and was equal in all aspects to the Son who had flesh and blood and bones. That God housed Himself in a human body and came to this world. And He came to this world to redeem man because no one could redeem man but God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And yet Jesus said, Sir, thy sins be forgiven thee. Take up thy bed and walk. Now, okay, uh, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. That the invisible God visited the human race through this flesh body because that this flesh body was begotten of God in the womb of a woman and was born just like you and I were born, then this body was called the Son, or commonly what we call sonship. All right? Now let's go on to the next scripture, Isaiah 9, 6. But keep in mind, this scripture says, His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. All right, Isaiah 9, 6 is probably the most familiar passage taught, I say taught, quoted, in the whole Bible about Jesus Christ, especially on Christmas cards and such, or at least around this great time of the year. Okay, I'd like for Brother Livingston to read this. Would you do that, Brother Fred? All right, now you notice what the Scripture is saying. Unto us a child is born. Now this is some more bits and pieces of the prophecy that caused the Jews to take careful look at Jesus Christ when He was here. And largely they turned Him away because Jesus Christ or their Messiah or their God did not come to them the way they thought that He would come. He was not wrapped up in splendor, falling from heaven, as some great king. He was not that. The foxes have their holes, the birds their nests, but the Son of Man, no place to lay his head. And so, because of his, his lowliness, uh, they rejected him. Uh, they, couldn't, they just couldn't understand that, that, that Jesus Christ really was their God with them. Now, notice what the Scripture says, Unto us a child is born, all right? Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Now, the Mighty God, the equivalent of that in the Greek, is found in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1 and 8. And I think we read that already, haven't we? But I'd like to turn there. Here is the equivalent. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, 
and which is to come, the Almighty. Now that's the equivalent Greek word to the Hebrew word that speaks of the mighty God in Isaiah 9 and 6. All right? So Isaiah 9 and 6, He shall be the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Now notice it says the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Now, we definitely can prove by Scripture, and we'll be going into this later when we get into the, another part of the wheel, that uh, the Bible speaks of us as only having one Father. Only having one Father. Now, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was our Father. Of course, we will find out that Jesus Christ was also the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, He did not create it as a man. He did not create it as a son. But when we speak of Jesus, when we say Jesus is Emmanuel, which being interpreted God with us, or when we say that Jesus is God, please understand, we're not saying that, that when you looked at Jesus Christ and you saw His fleshly form, that that fleshly form fell out of heaven. And that's what God is or what God was. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying, we're saying there was more to Jesus Christ than just a body. Just like there's more to me than just a body. I consist of body, soul, and spirit. Evidently, two-thirds of me is unseen. But because we live in this world, which is natural, because we live in this world, which is temporal, because everything that we see is tangent, and it seems to be passing, and we even refer to each other as, as somebody, and we make reference to the body. It's always to the body, to the body, to the body to the body. And, and when Jesus came, Jesus tried to de-emphasize that particular part of a man's life because everybody was wrapped up, on, wrapped up in what they could see with their eyes. And the only thing that was important is what a man possesses. Jesus said, don't you know that life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment and a man's life consists of more than the abundance of the things that he possesses. Jesus tried to get us to look beyond the veil of tears or the robe of flesh, to understand that every man has identity that's separate and apart from flesh. And when Jesus Christ was here, Jesus Christ said, The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of my Father which sent me. Basically, he's saying, The Spirit of God has sent me into this world. And I speak not of myself, but of the invisible God that sent me into the world. So when we say that Jesus was God, we're not saying that the robe of flesh that died upon the cross was God. Because if you say that, you have to say, God died. God did not die. All right? Okay, let's go to the next scripture. Okay, Micah 5, verse 2. If some of you ambitious ones would like to kind of sneak ahead and get these scriptures, that will help us conserve a little time. Micah 5, verse 2. All right, and who has this? Okay, Brother Glenn Rossing. All right, notice what this is saying. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth has been from old,
from everlasting. Now what the Scripture is saying, that Jesus Christ, that was to visit the planet Earth, that His goings forth has been from old or from everlasting. Now does that mean when Jesus Christ came into the world, that His flesh body was from old, from everlasting? Now, if you look, though, at the doctrine of the Trinity, now listen to me very carefully. I don't, want, I don't want to misrepresent anything that a lot of honest, God-fearing people believe in. But this is what the doctrine of the Trinity states, that God consists of three divine, distinct individuals, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Now, that simply means, then, that if the Father has a body, and obviously He must have a body if Jesus Christ had a body because they're co-equal, then when did the Father take on His body, or when did the Son take on His body? Now, the, the truth of the matter is, if Jesus Christ had a body prior to Bethlehem, I don't know what He did with it. But you see, when it, comes, when it comes down to it, the term or the, the phrase, God the Son, does not exist in the Scripture. And it's not a teaching of the Scripture. But the Son of God is. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. It was the fusing of the Spirit of Almighty God with the egg of a woman that fertilized that egg, and the fleshly body of Almighty God was conceived and, and grew in the womb of a woman. And that was the body, and the only body, that God had as far as a flesh and blood body. You may say, oh, Brother Grant, oh, well, listen, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, now this is, a, this is one of the strongest Bible teachings you can find, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. His only begotten Son. In other words, sonship was begotten. You may say, well, He existed back there in spirit form. That's exactly what we're trying to say. But not a separate spirit from the Father. Because the Bible says there is only one spirit. Only one spirit. All right, his goings forth has been from old, from everlasting. Now we're going to jump to the New Testament, John the first chapter, verse 1. And I'd like for Sister Debbie, if she would, to take, take this. And after we read the scripture, I want you to put it up there. All right, John, the first chapter, verse 1. Who has this? Brother Brunker has it. Would you stand and read it for us? All right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, <clears throat> verse 14 then, let's read that. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, when you see the Word mentioned there in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, three times the word, Word appears. And it comes from the Greek word logos. All right? Logos means something said, including the thought. Also reasoning. It is the mental faculty or motive. Basically, this is a definition of what we would call a pattern or a blueprint. In other words, a long time before an architect takes a pen or pencil and puts it down on a board, there has to be the thought. There has to be the mental concept. And, and then it is put on, in paper form. Now basically what the Scripture is saying, that there always has been in the mind of God, the thought, the blueprint, or the pattern. Even man himself, when he was made, according to Romans 5, 14, that Adam was made in the likeness of him that was to come. In other words, before God made Adam and placed him in the Garden of Eden, on the blueprint in God's mind was the body of Jesus Christ, the body that he was to wear when he visited this world in the form of a man. All right? John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the thought or the concept. But please understand, the Scripture's teaching, the thought or the concept was there. That Jesus Christ was not there as a separate, distinctive, divine, second person of a divine trinity. That's not how He was there. He did not have spirit. He did not have flesh. And He did not have a body. All right? Now, He was there only in the thought. Only in the concept. Only in the blueprint. And then verse 14 says, And the Word, that is, including something thought, or something reasoned, the mental faculty, or the motive, the thought of the concept, the concept, the blueprint that God made Adam and Eve from in the Garden of Eden was unfolded, and Jesus Christ then was born of a woman and visited the planet Earth. Okay? Now, that's an easy thing to understand. And truthfully, when you go through it, it answers all the questions in the Bible relative to the deity. But if you make three different persons out of it, you sure do get confused and mixed up. Such as, when Jesus Christ died, His body was placed in a tomb. Let me ask you, if there are three in the Godhead, who is responsible for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I can prove to you, according to the Scripture, that God raised Him up from the dead. I can prove to you, according to the Scripture, that the Holy Ghost raised Him up from the dead. I can prove to you, according to the Scripture, Jesus said, Ye destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again.
How can that be true? Because there's only one Spirit. And the true identity of Jesus Christ was connected to God. Not as a second person of a trinity. Because there's only one Spirit. The Spirit that lived in Him was God. Almighty God. All right? Now this may confuse some people. Let me just put this up. For, for Don't show the bo- bottom of this. It's an incomplete... Uh, I ran out of paper and I put it on something else. So just the red part, block it out. <clears throat> Here's a big question. So what, what about Jesus praying? <clears throat> now this is a little bit big. Debbie, you may have to pull it up and refocus. <clears throat> you remember Jesus spoke to the Father. He prayed. Please keep in mind, the Spirit is capable of talking. The flesh is capable of talking. Knowing the attributes of the Spirit, the flesh of the Son could have prayed to the Father of the Spirit. It was God's plan to subject Himself to human form, sonship, and be tempted in all ways just like us. According to Hebrews 4, verse 15. Now, I'd like for you to put this one up. That's a big one too, so you're probably close enough. All right. Remember, Jesus as a man could talk to the Father as a spirit just as easily as the Trinitarian doctrine says that God the Son prayed to God the Father. In fact, you have no contradiction in this, but you do have a contradiction in this because Jesus was subject, Jesus was subject to the Father. But if the Trinitarian doctrine statement is correct, that each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal, Jesus claiming to be the Almighty God, and of course the Creator of the heavens and the earth in the Old Testament claiming to be the Almighty God, and you can't have two Almighty Gods. So really when you look at this, this right here, this just doesn't fit. But Jesus as a man, could pray to the Spirit just as easily as basically one God could pray to another God. And you may say, but the Trinitarians don't believe that. They don't believe that, at least they say they don't, but if you really look at it, when you have two, three, or how many ever you want to have, divine, distinct individuals, each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal, you actually have three gods. Because you say that they're separate, they're divine, and they're distinct. Each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. So obviously what you have here then, you have God the Son praying to another God. Look at this. Both God as spirit and God as man could talk. God could talk from heaven and through Jesus Christ both, according to John 14, 24. Okay, let's go on. Now, let's look at John 1, verse 10. We did not read this. 
John 1, verse 10. Okay, Brother Rich Brown has this. Would you read it for me? All right, he was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Pull this down. You see this right here where it says Jesus the Creator? There you go. Look at all the Scriptures. One Creator. John 1.10, 1 Corinthians 8.6, Ephesians 3.9, Colossians 1.12 through 17, Hebrews 1.8 through 12, Revelation 4.8 through 11, Revelation 10 and 6, Revelation 14, 6 and 7, Revelation 21, 5 through 7, and Revelation 22, verse 3. says Jesus is the Creator. Pull it on down. Let's look at the top part. Here we talk about God as the Creator. Now, we'll not look up all this Scripture. We're going to spend one whole uh, lesson on this. All right, just raise it up a little bit more. Okay, God the Creator. Okay, Genesis 1, 1, Genesis 2, 7, Job 33, 4, Psalm 33, 6, Psalm 104, verse 30, Isaiah 40, 28, Isaiah 44, 24, Isaiah 45, 11, 18, Malachi 2, 10. All speak of God as being the Creator. These speak of Jesus Christ as being the Creator. There is only one Creator, and there is only one God. Now, Jesus Christ was in the world. The world was made by Him. Was the world made by man? No, the world was not made by man. Was Jesus Christ a man? Yes, He was. But He was more than a man. And when Jesus said, The words that I speak, I speak not of myself. He's saying that I have identity that you cannot see. This is the reason why He could heal. This is the reason why He could save. This is the reason why He could forgive sins. This is the reason why that Jesus never under any circumstance, rebuke people for worshiping Him because they did not worship a man. They worshiped God that was in the man. All right? <clears throat> okay. Let's move on in our Scripture. All right, John eight twenty four. If someone would stand and read this for me, I would appreciate it. <coughs> Okay, who has this? Okay, Sister Armenti. Now, I know that uh, I've had a lot of people question my interpretation of this, but I think if you look at all the other scriptures that it does bear uh, witness of this, uh, Exodus 3.14, this is when Moses was by the burning bush and God spoke to him. And if you, if you notice what happened, uh, you can turn back there if you'd like and, and read it, but uh, I'd like for you to listen very carefully. Moses approached the burning bush. He's supposed to go back, deliver the children of Israel from e Egyptian bondage. Now, God told him to do this, and of course he didn't think that he was capable of doing it. God gave him some signs. You remember he cast his hand or put his hand in his bosom. He pulled it out. It was leprous. He pulled it, put it back in. He brought it out. It was cleansed. It was made white. Thus showing God's ability to take even the vilest of sinners 
and make them clean. In other words, God can transform. God can change. God was trying to tell Moses, if you can't speak well, I can always change it. Please excuse this ruthlessness here, but I, won't, I don't want to walk around that. Okay? <clears throat> I want to get out a little closer. All right? And then he took his staff, which was a symbol of authority, and he said, what do you have in your hand? He said, just a staff. He said, cast it down. And he did. And it turned into a snake. He said, we'll pick it up. And he did. What happened? It turned into a symbol of authority again. What he's saying is that you may consider yourself to be nothing more, but God's going to make you a symbol of authority. It was at this time then that Moses was real concerned, and this is what he had to say. He said, now I have to go back to represent you, and when I go back to represent you, What am I supposed to tell them when I go back? Now remember this. If you look in the Scripture, his concern was not what he was to tell Pharaoh, and that's who he was to see. That was not his concern. His concern was, when I go back, and when I talk to the children of Israel, who do I tell them that sent me? It's immaterial about what Pharaoh believes because God's going to send the plagues and make a believer out of him. But you're not going to make a believer out of those Israeli people if they don't know that the God of heaven has sent them back. And this is when God spoke and said, I am that I am has sent thee. The self-existing one has sent thee. Why was that such a big thing with the Israeli people? Because they were monotheistic in their belief. They believed only in one God. And they weren't going to be convinced anyone coming in believing anything else outside of the one true God of heaven. Where did they get that? They got it from Abraham. Abraham was a man who left a, a, a idolatrous culture and went into what we call the promised land and walked all of his life and he crawled to the top of the empty hills talked out into the empty air to a God that he'd never seen. But he believed there was one God. He had a revelation of who he was, and that was passed on down to them. Now Jesus said, except ye believe that I am he. Notice in your Bible that he is in italics which means it did not appear in the original text, except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Of course, this is explained in John 1, 58. See, Jesus claimed to be before Abraham. How is he before Abraham? As the Son of God? No. Sonship had its beginning in 30 or I say 33 A.D., that's when Jesus died. Sonship had its beginning in Bethlehem. 
that Jesus Christ exists as the Son of God before Bethlehem? Only in the thought, the concept, the logos, the blueprint. It was there. In other words, a provision was made for the salvation of man before there ever was a man made. Now, I like to look at it like this. It's not that man had to sin, but God made the provision if in the event he did sin. I guess a good example would be that, let's say that we're building a big high-rise apartment downtown someplace that's going to have, let's say, 30 stories. But naturally, the architect does not make plans in there for somebody to fall. In other words, we're going to make a little booby trap over here so somebody will fall. The plan is going to be as safe as the plan can possibly be. But, on the other hand, we will have an infirmary. We'll also have safety chains, ropes. We'll also have an ambulance on the side if in the event someone is careless and they do fall. So Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That did not occur until 33 A.D., how then was he slain from the foundation of the world? It was in the concept. It was in the blueprint. It was in the thought of God. See? When Jesus claimed to be here before Abraham, this is what they had to say. <clears throat> Verse 57, Thou art not yet fifty years old. How hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Exodus 3.14, Isaiah 43.13, John 17.5 and 24, Colossians 1.17, Revelation 1 and 8. If you read those scriptures, it brings additional enlightenment concerning <coughs> this particular passage of Scripture. Okay, let's go to John 14, 6. Oh, what a great truth. <clears throat> John 14, 1. I just want to read it all because <clears throat> I, I just, I like this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, Jesus was constantly trying his best to get the people to understand the connection. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. How did they see the Father? 
because Jesus Christ was the invisible God being made visible to man. <clears throat> you say, how can you see a spirit? You can see a spirit not because it has flesh and bones. That part you can't see. But you can see the spirit just like you can see the true Chris Manley. One of these days, her body will be placed in a casket somewhere, and there's going to be a large part of this woman missing. Her beautiful disposition, her gorgeous smile. <clears throat> I'm saying this like your husband would say it, you know. I mean, what is personality? But it, it's a protraction of the inner being. He didn't say when you see this robe of flesh, this flesh is God. That's not what he's saying. It's the invisible God became visible through Jesus Christ. All right? <clears throat> And verse 8, Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus says unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? See, Jesus Christ could speak both as God and as a man. Why? Because he was both. There was more to him than just flesh and blood. But yet he did have flesh and blood. As a man, he was tired, and he had to rest. But as God, he stood up. And what did he do? He stretched forth his hand. And there was a great tempest upon the sea. And they shook him and awoke him. And they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus said, O ye of little faith. And he stretched forth his hand. And the wind... Just calm down. Those men trembled. They said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Now you know why after being with him for a while they, they got the revelation. Why? Because they saw both sides of him. They saw him in his humanity, a sonship but they also saw him in his divinity as the mighty God, the only wise Savior. <coughs> All right? <coughs> Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how saith thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? And this is the uh, passage that I used before when I showed the iceberg in the ocean. What scripture was I on? <clears throat> Verse 10, John 14, 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. 
In other words, I'm doing the works of God. If you can't believe that I am God, just believe me because I'm doing the work of God. All right, praise God. Praise God. I thank the Lord for this beautiful truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. This is, this is just a beautiful passage of Scripture. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 5, 19. Okay, who has this? 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Okay, Brother Thomas, could you read it for me? Okay, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. <clears throat> See, there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, now it's just, it says the man, Christ Jesus. Because God visited man through the body of a man. Now it's not that, <clears throat> that Jesus Christ, as some people say, pleads your case before the Father, which is light years away in some heavenly throne. That's not it at all. It's just that, you see, what happens is when you go to Jesus Christ, you go to the Father. See? To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. Brother Rutherford preached a marvelous message Sunday morning on worship. And he brought out some points in this scripture. I've heard him use this before. This happens to be on the chart. First <coughs> Timothy 3.16. He said this has to do with worship. First Timothy 3.16. I'd like for somebody to take and read this. Okay, Brother Glenn Uselman. All right, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then, of course, the revelation is then unfolded. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now, what I wanted to point out about this scripture, <clears throat> I, I, I do feel, Brother Rutherford, you're 100% correct in your analogy of this scripture. But if you notice, this scripture is talking about God. It does not make reference to Jesus Christ, does it? But the assumption is there that all of the things that are attributed to God true of Jesus Christ. In other words, that's a description of what Jesus Christ did. Praise God. It's 9 o'clock and I guess our time is up. I'm looking forward to several more lessons on this. <clears throat> You'll never understand the beauty 
of Jesus' name baptism until you really understand, until you really understand who Jesus Christ was. This is the reason why the apostles never baptized in any other name other than the precious name of Jesus. Because Jesus brought salvation to us. The Father did not die. The Holy Ghost did not die. Jesus Christ brought salvation to us. Upon a rugged cross, Jesus Christ was nailed. <clears throat> he did not send. He did not send someone else. He came himself. God came himself. <clears throat> I read a story once of a man. This man was took his son out for a picnic, and while he was cooking the barbecues and such, he looked around. His son had waded out in the in, in the ocean. I don't know if you've ever done this. You wade out so far, and you just can't wade in. It just kind of sweeps you out. I remember before I learned to swim, I waded out in my grandfather's pond one time and got a little bit too far out, and I tried to go back in. I couldn't. I just, you know, I got desperate there just for a moment. And just <clears throat> as everything was going good, this man heard his son screaming. He ran, left everything behind, ran, jumped in, rescued his son. Now, I said that to say this. When I read it, just an article in the paper or whatever, wasn't that really true of God while we were sinking? You remember the song, Love Lifted Me? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. But God didn't send another one. He came himself to jump right into the sea of life with us, to rescue us. My God came to rescue me. Oh, praise God. My Savior came to rescue me. Praise God. Love lifted me. Let's take our hymn book and sing that, would you? I don't even know what number it is. Somebody find it. And <clears throat> 275. Oh, praise God. 275. <clears throat> you want to stand as we sing this? <clears throat> I was sinking deep in sin Far from the peaceful shore Very deeply stained within Sinking to rise no more But the master of the sea Heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me, now save am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me, where 
nothing else could help the Yeah.